0: Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
1: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on Select AK Systems, that's through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: This is Playing Around with Paige Renee.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Playing Around Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Renee, and we have a great episode in store for you. We have a special guest going to talk some NFL, but I first wanted to start off this episode by addressing a situation because I don't want crazy rumors to come from this. But Amanda Rose will no longer be a co-host on the podcast. She will come on from time to time and know there was no crazy beef or drama. We are still friends and I want to thank her for all of her work that she did on the podcast. As you guys know, I have been navigating the waters with this pod. And we've tried different co-host formats, subject matter, and the podcast has never really felt me. With all of my other social media platforms, I'm in such a groove. I feel confident and comfortable with what works and what to post and when to post. I really just know exactly what I'm doing. And most people don't know this, but I actually write all of the scripts and come up with all of the ideas for all of my videos. And I'm quite proud of how fun and creative they all are. And I love video work. I feel like that's where I thrive in short form content. And so longer form content, besides YouTube, I actually am really quite proud of my YouTube channel and what we put out there. Every social platform is very different and I I understand that, but from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to TikTok, it all seems, and YouTube, it all seems to work together well like it's cohesive it makes sense to me but my podcast doesn't feel that way and I know I'm way too hard on myself when it comes to the podcast but it's just something I don't feel super proud of because I feel like it could be better and I'm a perfectionist and I know I need to get over that because we've actually built something together you and me we've built something together That's pretty special. And you guys have been along for the journey through all of the changes. And at times I think change is good because it keeps it it fun and different. And you just get sick of the same thing over and over again. So I do like the fact that it's always evolving and changing. But again, I still haven't found the format that makes me happy, that I'm proud of, that I want to do, and that I want to continue to do. So what I'm trying to say is that the podcast is going to continue to get better. I'm going to have friends on guests on put more of an emphasis on the podcast and what I'm doing. Gosh, this it's just so hard. And I don't want to complain as like an influencer. And I say that because I hate the word influencer. But it's really hard to focus on so many different platforms and to be good at all of them because they are so different and you have to know what pieces of content work on each platform and again i just don't feel like i have done that for the podcast and i want to be better because all the other pieces of content that i put out i think are actually like funny i I think they're funny but my podcast I i feel like i don't really show my full personality which is weird because this is where I should be able to show it the most. And although you guys get more of a deep dive into my life and my emotional problems, that's the more serious side. But I don't feel like you see the the wit and the humor as much on the podcast. And I don't know why I like freeze. I like freeze up when it comes to talking and maybe it's just because I don't prepare enough or maybe I over prepare and that is different than my other pieces of content because I don't Prepare at all. I just kind of put the camera in front of my face and I just go for it. But again, I just need to figure out all of those things and um just continue to keep listening. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so before we get into our guest, we are going to talk a little NFL. I'm gonna go through a couple games from week one and give some thoughts. First off, we had the Bills versus the Rams. Bills won 31-10. to Unsurprising, the Rams did not look that great. Last week in the podcast with Teddy G, we were talking about the Rams, and we said that they just were going to struggle a bit, and that's how they looked, a bit rusty and not cohesive. Bills, on the other hand, although they didn't play a perfect game, they looked really, really solid, and I think the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm saying it here first. The Eagles won 38 over the Lions, 35. We had the Bears actually winning 19-10 to 10 over the 49ers as 49ers are working through quarterback situation with Trey Lance and porn star Jimmy. Now here's the crazy game. We had the Steelers and the Bengals. The Steelers won an overtime 23-20. to This game was wild. This game was wild because Joe Burrow played the worst game of his professional career. He had five picks, sacked six times. It wasn't good for him. I will say Mitch Trubisky looked good. I am happy that Big Ben is gone. The team looked energized and their defense was solid, to say the least. Unfortunately, TJ Watt was out in the last 15 seconds. It looked like he tore his pec, which I don't know if any of you guys have torn your pec, but I've heard that it is is painful and he potentially could be out for the entire season, which really, really sucks. Really shitty situation for the Steelers if that happens because he is the best player in the league and he just brings so much to that team. I wasn't expecting much from the Steelers, but I'm a bit excited now after watching that first game. I will say with how many times uh, he turned it over, Joe Burrow turned it over, that the game shouldn't have been close. It should have been a blowout from the Steelers' side, which shows that the offense still needs some work. But the kickers. We had three missed field goal attempts in a row. (laughs) And it was bad. And they weren't like... Boswell hit hit the upright. We got a big doink on that one. Uh, but the Bengals kicker was like nowhere close. It felt like me on the first tee when I'm, I'm teeing up, and I'm like, I feel so good, and I snap hooker in the shit. That's exactly what he did. The Dolphins won over the Patriots 20-7. to I really had no interest in that game. Uh, it was on in the background, but did not watch much of it. I've never been a Patriots fan. I know you guys know this about me, but... I've never rooted for Boston teams, New England, like never because I've dated <laughs> like shitty boyfriends who were in love with Boston and they weren't even from there, which was weird too. It was like the ones who were not there but rooted for them, they were, they were terrible people. I don't know. It it never made sense to me, but there was like a trend. And so since then, I was like, I will never ever root for them. So I'm glad they lost. Did not watch the game much though. Browns versus the Panthers. The Browns won 26-24. The Colts-Texans game was a tie. I think they should just get rid of the tie. I don't like the tie. Have you guys seen Ted Lasso where (laughs) they were talking about the tie? That's how I felt. Like I just... I think they could fix that. There there should be a winner. I think there should be a winner. I'm not a fan of ties. We have the Saints uh, winning over the Falcons by one, which was a great game. We have the Ravens winning uh, over the Jets 24 to nine. Obviously, Lamar Jackson has full confidence in himself, and he decided not to sign the deal. And he really has a lot to prove this year. We have the Washington football. T- oh, they're not the Washington football team anymore, but I think I'm still gonna call them that. Uh, they won 28 over the Jaguars 22. Wentz is overrated. I don't get the hype. I just every time I watch him play, I'm like, what are you doing? The Vikings 23 over the Packers seven. I think this was less a reflection on the Packers being bad and more on the Vikings being actually a really solid team this year. The Packers also, first game, I I think that you guys want to take them next game. I think this will reinvigorate uh, Rodgers and they'll come back pretty strong. The Giants won 21 over the Titans 20. Chargers looked really good, winning 24 over the Raiders at 19, and the Chiefs dominated the Cardinals 44-21. to I guess Kyler Murray needs to read up on a little bit more film, but I will say Patrick Mahomes looked really good. I, at times, have said that I don't think he's going to actually have a, a good year, and he potentially could be a little overrated, and I was dead flat out wrong. And I'm sorry for that, Patrick Mahomes. Not the first time I'm apologizing to you or your family. Uh, we have the Buccaneers. They won over the Cowboys. The Cowboys looked, well, like the Cowboys. And there's been a lot of divorce rumors swirling around for Giselle and Tom, but she put out a nice little tweet for him and he showed up being the GOAT. So, you know, he's back. Is he back? Can you even say that He's back. I don't even know if that's a thing, if you can even say that. (laughs) Is he retired? I guess he's back, but he never left. So guess he's not back. Deep thoughts with Paige. (laughs) And on that note, we are going to take a break and we come back, we have our special guest, Gavin Deer from Shotscope. Keep on listening, guys.
2: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack.
0: Everyone, we are back, and we have a special guest, Gavin Deer, who is part of the Shot Scope team. He does sales, marketing, and logistics, and Shot Scope is one of my partners, and I've loved working with you guys so far. But we have a very exciting sale announcement, which we'll do in a little bit. But Gavin, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today.
3: No, thanks for having me. Like like you say, I've I've really enjoyed us uh, being partners so far, and. I know the whole of the scope team feel that way. And yeah, it's, it's been good fun so far.
0: Well, we'll get into Shot Scope in a little bit, but I actually want to talk about your golf background because it's quite fascinating. So you played at Lynn University and you represented Scotland at many events, including winning the World Team Championship in 2008. And you also played in the 2009 Walker Cup, which is incredible. There are a lot of big names. Tommy Fleetwood was on your team. You played against like Peter Uline, Brian Harmon, and Ricky Fowler. Uh, what was that experience like?
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it feels years ago now. <laughs> Every time I get on a golf course, you know, I think back, but it was great fun. And you forget how lucky you are at that time of your life just to sort of play golf. And college was great, taught me a new sort of how to hit the ball high, how to hit the ball longer, play against better players. World Am was. An amazing experience to go and win that with Scotland. And um, To give some context, we won by, I think, 11 shots from the US team. Wow. (laughs) And it's the only tournament I've ever played where, because it was a three-person and it was the best two scores, playing the back nine, we'd won. We were so far ahead. It it was just a strange feeling. Um, And then the Walker Cup was probably the biggest crowds I've played in front of, sort of twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 people and and that's a different experience you know you go from trying not to hit them to <laughs> be competitive okay. um and yeah and then i don't know i i'm now a re- i call myself a retired professional but it was kind of more lack of money and lack of talent really
0: yes yeah, so you gave it a go for about what four years after um your amateur career and college career and d- it's a grind and I don't think people realize how hard it is and how expensive it is too. I think you see these professional golfers and especially, you know, with like the live money that's been thrown around, you're like these guys are making so much money, but you look at the kind of the step down And that was the same thing for me. I didn't have the talent, but also just the money too. Like I played like 25 tournaments, made money in all of them, but two, and barely broke even for the year.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's like, you're looking at maybe not eating for a week. You you have to work multiple jobs uh, to pay ends meet. Like it's really difficult. And it's hard to be able to put all of your time, energy, and focus into playing professional golf when you're so worried about also like, how am I going to get to this tournament? How am I going to pay for Q school? I don't think people realize how expensive Q school is. So it's not easy for people to like get to that next level. And a lot of it is finances.
3: You're spot on. I mean, the the thing is, so I played predominantly in Europe and on the second tour. So call it the corn ferry tour of Europe. But we didn't always play in Europe. So we played in Colombia, Morocco, Kenya, India, Kazakhstan, Russia, and China. You've got to fund all of the, like you say, I mean, I did 125, 130 flights a year. And, and you're right. You can almost make ends meet. But my, my biggest sort of area was I, I was I was stable there for four years. Yeah. I couldn't get myself to the top table. And I, I, I can remember, I won't name the guy, <laughs> but I remember looking at, um, a fellow professional that I knew and he had two kids and I'm going I'm single, I'm on my own, I'm, I'm okay but if I had a mortgage and two kids, how do you survive and if you keep going, you're, you're going to be there and I thought well I'm young enough to go away and do something else and um, step away and I miss the travel side of it sometimes, I miss the good golf side of it, I don't miss the practice Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed the, I, I played a pro-am last week. We got rained out after six holes. And I'm standing there and it's like, I'm playing a course where I was leading a, a sort of good event round. And I'm playing with this pro and this pro's looking at me like, oh, you, look, you must be a good amateur. I'm like, yeah, I, I would have killed you. When we, Ten years ago, I would have killed you. And, uh, and it's so frustrating not to be able to play at that level. Yeah but then you don't, you don't practice and you don't do anything. You don't do the gym. You don't, you don't do any of that. So why would you expect to be able to play? But mentally you're like, yeah, I'd love just to be able to turn it on for a day or two.
0: Do you, do you still enjoy playing? Cause that was the hardest thing for me and it's still something that I'm kind of struggling with. And actually Scope is, it's helped with this of like getting that, that passion to practice again and that passion to get better because People don't realize like how much work and effort you have to put into playing and practicing like you're on the golf course from as soon as the sun goes up until the sun goes down and it just gets draining after a while and most people are like oh but it's golf it's so fun you gotta stay outside but it's mentally so exhausting and so once i decided to give up playing professional golf I had no desire to play, no desire to practice. I didn't even want to like do fun rounds with my friends. I didn't want to, I had like PTSD from like keeping score. Like I didn't even want to keep score. Cause like you were saying, it's so hard to just accept the fact that you're not at the same form that you used to be. And it's like, if I hit a bad shot, I'm like, I can't get down on myself anymore. Like I can't do that, but it's still so hard. So do you enjoy playing now? Do you enjoy going out? Are you still kind of like, eh? (laughs)
3: So it's been a, it's been a process, and, and you'll be able to relate to this. So when I, I gave up golf, I phoned my coach. I'm like, look, I'm not going to stop playing professionally. The next day I went and played golf. I'm like, what else have I got to do? <laughs> I, I, to, I probably had a year where I didn't play. I got my amateur status back, and suddenly it's like I started playing a few club events. I play for my state. It's all match play. No, no score card yeah. really it's match play and, and I can compete with that but also the team's quite young a lot younger so I think they get a bit out of it because it's how do you do a practice round you know they're playing national events and they're good golfers but I know, I know they learn a little bit about it I get to think that I'm probably better than I am but I can go three weeks without touching a club <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't bother me you know, and, and I, mean, I was in the States for a couple of weeks and there's a very good golfer um, at the company who, and she's a Scottish internationalist now. And we take the clubs and she's like, right, let's let's play for money. Let's do this. And she's competitive. And that's quite good for me because I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to try. <laughs> but after three days of golf in a row, I'm like, look, that's me done for the week. Yeah, I have I, I have no need to be on a course again. So it, it, it comes in waves. It's, different. I, it's really hard to explain to somebody that doesn't, hasn't gone through the same sort of process or relationship with golf. Because like you say, I, I, I like getting the shorts on and playing golf and a nice course with some friends. It's great fun. Go play 36-hole competition for fun? No,
0: no. They're like, want to walk 36? Or even, like, I remember going to Bandon and it was raining and everyone was so excited that it was raining. And I'm like, you know how many rounds of golf I have played in the rain, walking 36? I'm like, I'm not doing that for fun. But it is really interesting, like, especially in, like, the collegiate amateur level and then that step up to playing professionally. When you were on the Walker Cup team and you were kind of looking around – did you think like, oh, Ricky Fowler is going to make it or Tommy Fleetwood's going to make it? Did they have something that was like an it factor or something that kind of stood apart from everyone else that you knew they were going to make? Because I think that's the hardest thing with golf is that they're the kind of busy. You never really know... When someone's going to make it or even it's like, should you keep grinding through the hard times because you could have, you know, next year could be your year. And I think that's what keeps everyone in it. And I I get a lot of questions from parents and they're looking at their kids like, should I push them? Do they have that it factor? Like, could you see that when you're on the team?
3: So there's there's been three golfers I've played with that were different. Yeah. Or there were elements of their game that were different. He thought, that's going to carry them. Ricky was one of them. Ricky was fantastic at putting. Just awesome. On quick greens, played quite a few events with them, and you could see it. Played with Rory when he was younger, Brown St. Andrews, and you could tell. Yeah. Like, ball striking was unbelievable. Played with Kepka for a practice round on the challenge tour. And one of the guys we were playing with said, you know, Gaff, how am I gonna compete? He's 40 yards longer and straighter <laughs> than I am off the tee. And, and you could see, literally, other than that, played a lot with Shane Lowry, who obviously won at the weekend. Great golfer, didn't really stand out yeah. in comparison to a Tommy Fleetwood or myself at that time or a number of other golfers. But like, it's, I don't know, like you say, pro golf's hard and it's a grind if you shoot 69 every day you do just fine and, <laughs> and just if you easy, can maintain, right? <laughs> yeah and you, and you can maintain your confidence you know and and some of it's opportunity and confidence at the right time but I, yeah I don't know it's 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 funny when parents ask me the same questions it's like look don't push them
0: yeah
3: I've seen I've seen lots of athletes in other sports be pushed by parents and they get turned off that sport push them get them to play multiple sports if they are good great they will excel you're not going to know if they're going to excel until they're 16 maybe
0: well and especially with golf too because it's a sport that you can play for such a long time and you can peak at and you're your 30s, like that could be the time, or your 40s. And I felt so burnt out by the time I was playing my first year professionally because I was grinding in junior golf to get a scholarship to go to college and you're grinding in college and you're playing all these amateur events there's really like no off season for golfers and then in professionally I was like I'm tired like this is exhausting and then you get there and you're like this is hard and I've seen so many junior golfers who were superstars and fizzle out in college because their parents pushed them and the same thing it's like they were amazing college then fizzled out professionally and it's like mentally I think that's what kind of sets the the upper tier apart because I grew up with like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Lexi Thompson like we were all playing together in junior golf and you're looking at Jordan Spieth you're like that kid's a superstar like he is going to make it for sure but there were like 10 other kids that I also thought were going to make it, and they're not playing golf anymore and I think it's because of like that pressure that parents kind of put on them to be successful.
1: The
3: the girls' game's really weird as well because you can see girls. There's less physical difference between a 24 year old tour pro and a 15 year old girl, yeah. and you can see more of these girls qualify for the U.S. Open. There's like 12 year old every year <laughs> qualifies, and they make cuts and they compete. The guys' game's a little bit different. I wonder whether with some of the great upcoming girl golfers is qualifying for the U.S. Open at 14 great for you? Does it just heat pressure? media attention, questions, how are you going to turn pro? What are you going to do? Whereas I think for guys, hardly anybody, you never hear of a 14-year-old competing on the PGA Tour, really. So, so it's, there's a big difference there. There's maybe a bit more of a time to grow up. Um, but you're right, it's hard. I mean, I've got a three-year-old girl, and, and you're sitting there like, how do you? Everybody says, oh, you're a good golfer how you get when she's starting to play. I was like, she thinks golf's like hitting a ball with a stick. (laughs) That's fine. That'll stay that way for a while. Don't worry about it.
0: That's really fascinating. I never thought about that, but, but now that I'm thinking back on, so the Corda sisters, they didn't go to college. Uh, Lexi didn't go to college. My friend Jaymarie Green didn't go to college. Like I'm thinking back on it, and you're right. Most of them started playing Monday qualifiers, qualifying for the Open when they're like 13, 14, 15, and it would be interesting to see like what would have happened with their career if they did make that change to go to college or Uh, vice versa because there's there really isn't much difference but you have seen some like phenoms like kimberly kim is a really great example who Everyone thought she was going to be the next, you know, female Tiger Woods, and she just decided she didn't love it anymore. And there were so many like that. And I never really thought about it that way. Like, I'm glad I did the collegiate route, and I thought it was really good, but I wanted to turn professional right out of um, high school. Like, that was my goal. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And it's like, you're right. You, like, have that pressure to, like, do that because all of your peers are turning pro at 18, and it was like you felt behind if you weren't turning pro like i felt like i i failed when i went when i had like a full-ride scholarship and that was like failure
3: but the thing is that college experience lets you grow up gives you contacts i I mean are you better off as a business person having been to college than not being to college and that experience there's something to fall back on yeah so i mean it's funny so in in the uk I mean, we're, we're based in Scotland. You can probably tell from the accent, a lot of them. I sit with kids and they're like, oh, should I go to America? And I'm like, yes, go to the US college system, play for four years. And, and some of them come back after three months. I didn't like it. I was away from home. And you go, yeah, but you still want to play tour or golf. How are you going to cope with if you've got to travel every week, yet you can't go and live in the US college system? What's wrong with you? It's Slightly different take on turn pro, not turn pro, but it's the same bit where the the college gives you that level of experience, how to play golf, contacts, play against better golfers. But hopefully you'll be a more rounded person at the end of it
0: well and then speaking of being well-rounded a lot of people were saying for the guys their route was then you turn professional and you go play the european tour for a little bit to kind of learn that side of the game too so like brooks kepka was one of the players who did that was really successful yeah and that was almost more of like the route to be a well-rounded player because again we grew up on you know kind of very similar golf courses and then you go over and golf courses that I remember playing in Scotland for the first time and I can understand you I was in complete culture shock when I got into a taxi for the first time and he was asking me where to go and I'm like I can't understand a word you're saying but the golf courses are completely different the weather is very different the grass is different everything is so different and I I feel like even when I was there for such a short time my game got better. You have to be more creative. You have to um, be able to work the shots, especially around the greens. Um, it, it's it really does. It feels like real golf to me when I'm over there. Like you have to be so creative when you're playing link style courses.
3: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's funny because that that was literally a time I was playing the Challenge Tour, and you had Peter came across, Brooks came across, I think his brother then came across Chase, and. You can see why they would want to come that way, get some experience, get you away from a bit of limelight as a real up-and-coming U.S. golfer. Um, and it teaches them how to travel and be alone and, you know, things that are different, you know, make friends. The, the European tour is pretty sociable for the most part. Yeah. Because you're in small towns, so you're all in the same restaurant every night. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, and then the golf side, you're right. It, look, it's different grasses different countries you're playing in meters you have to change it to yards or you're playing the links courses and it's firm and you're hitting a a nine iron 220 yards it's totally different overall travel i think travel in its own is good for golf different grasses it's different types of courses travel's just good for golf
0: yeah i would agree with that
2: you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack
0: shot scope a little bit so how did you get involved uh, with the company and just kind of explain what some of the products that you guys have for some of our listeners who are not familiar
3: yeah so um i mean for myself finishing golf i was get as far away from golf as possible <laughs> and i was actually over in boston um, at university doing a sort of master's course and um, somebody put me in touch with david who founded the company and said look He's got an idea. He's an um, avid golfer, let's say, at that time. And I, I really want to get out of golf. And I came back and we, we met in a sort of coffee shop, very startup world, sort of chat for three hours. It's like, actually, I quite like the idea of Scope and, and what we could do with performance tracking. And not only that, I, I could pr- help the business. So yeah. got involved quite early on. So there was three of us at that point. We're now a company of 25, um, and that was seven years ago. And, and it's just grown and grown every year. And it's from, from a personal standpoint, it's been a really good ride. Really enjoyed it. Taking me to a few places.
0: The product's really cool too, because especially the new ones, because you have the rangefinder, but you also have GPS devices. So you can buy one or the other, or you can buy one that they that you guys put together, which is the one that I use, and it's my favorite thing ever. Because sometimes, like, I don't like wearing things on my wrist, or I, I just like don't like having stuff, and so I can still have the GPS on the rangefinder. I can clip it on me. It's like so handy and so easy. And I've never seen that before. And so like once I got the product, I was like, this is awesome. Because I've never been a golfer too driven by data or analytics. I was definitely like a field player. Um, I would just practice for hours. But I never actually looked at any of my stats or any of my data, which looking back now was a huge mistake within my career because I was practicing things that I was good at because I like to practice them but I was losing so many shots and I can see it now by actually looking at my data. It's not because I'm missing fairways or I I miss a lot of greens, right? And so it's like, okay, you're missing a lot of greens because you're missing a lot of fairways. Like you're not putting yourself in good positions to be able to attack pins. And so all this time I'm like, I'm a horrible iron player. I'm a horrible iron player. I'm like, well, you're hitting like, two fairways (laughs) around, like, of course you're a terrible iron player. Like you can't find a fairway. And I think a lot of people are really confused if they're like, I'm a horrible putter. Well, you're a horrible putter because you're you're hitting greens too far away and your second putt for um, lack putts is too far away. So then you're three putting. You're not giving yourself a good enough opportunity. So it's like you actually need to practice uh, lack putting or you need to practice short putting. And it's like people just don't realize where they're losing their shots because you think of the last shot you hit or you're thinking oh i'm just a bad bunker player and it's like well no you're a bad iron player (laughs) and so you just start practicing things that honestly don't really help you improve
3: yeah i mean even to the point where handicapped golfers at the most are going to spend 20 minutes practicing a week before they play and you can't cover the whole game in that point so what happens you go to the range you get a bunch of drivers, a few wedges. You maybe hit a courtesy 10-foot putt on the practice screen and then walk to the first tee. you actually using data. Even if it's 10 minutes of practice, you can quickly outline an area of the game that you can work on that 10 minutes. And it might be like you say, well, for a lot of golfers, it's lag putting. So go and hit the longest putts you can on the putting green for 10 minutes. I guarantee you'll putt better on the golf course or it's bunker play. Go spend 10 minutes in the bunker. Just attack the worst part of your game. And the key to that is you performance track, you can then understand what you have to go and practice. And that's the key, because otherwise we are just creatures of habit. We will go to what we like to do, or we'll make the worst assumption you can ever imagine and assume it's my putting. It's the fact you, you hit every green bit to 60 feet. But no, it was my putting. I had 37 putts today. In the actual fact, you putted quite well from where you were. You should be hitting 150 to 100 yard shots because that's what you had into the greens. Yeah. So that's where data can really help golfers. And it, one of the things that we get a lot of, well, I'm not a good enough golfer for this type of help actually.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I think a lot of higher handicappers are like, well, you know, I hit too many shots (laughs) to get enough data or I, and it's interesting because when I was looking at the data, there's not that much of a discrepancy between a high handicapper and a scratch golfer when you're actually like looking at like the nitty gritty of it.
3: Yeah. I mean, for, for the difference between a high handicapper and a scratch golfer, it's the high numbers. The actual birdie number, I think it's like 2.2 birdies around for a scratch golfer and 0.2 birdies for a 25 handicapper. But and the they dub- hit
0: like almost the same amount of fairways too, like almost yeah. the same percentage of fairways, which I thought was like really fascinating.
3: Yeah, they do. And, and a bit of it comes to distance, but a lot of it then comes to, hey, avoid bunkers. Do anything you can as a high handicapper to avoid avoid bunkers anything you can to avoid three putts. But every golfer is slightly different. So that's where having your individual data, you can tailor yourself. And if it's 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes of practice. And, and we're, we're pretty good at making a sort of tangible improvement to a golfer's handicap. So you'd, you'd like to think that somebody would drop four or five shots within a few months of using performance tracking data.
0: I did. I mean, I felt... So much better when I actually started looking at the data and knowing what I needed to work on, because like we were talking about earlier, like I don't have that desire to go out for hours on end to just practice, nor do I really have the time to do that anymore. And so now when I go out, I can really pinpoint what I need to work on um some drills that i have and if people are looking for some drills i'm doing a shot scope uh teaching series so you can go check out my youtube and i use some of the data that i have to give you guys drills so definitely go check that out um, but it really does help you when you know exactly like what you need to pinpoint and how to use that data and i thought it was really cool too because it almost feels like a competition it gives you something a little bit extra motivation and you also have the shot scope community within the app. And so you can see kind of how other people are doing too, which is really cool. So people can see my data, Um, but stuff like that just makes golf more fun and practicing more fun because I think very few people actually like to practice.
3: Oh, absolutely. Nobody likes to practice like they're (laughs) there, you know, because it just, it just comes back to the point. Every golfer will feel a little bit better about themselves and golf If they play a little bit better. Doesn't have to be a massive improvement, just a little bit better. So, and that's that's where big data comes in. And and it's the same for if you want to run 5k, you're going to use data that way to try and improve and you're going to use it to train a little better. Golf's just a bit more complicated sport, but data works the same way. And I think that's where, you know, we're seeing massive uptake in the market because you're providing something that is really not found anywhere else no. and it's simple to do just simple insights. And that, that's the key. So hopefully, I mean, that, that's the ethos of the company, make golfers a bit better, not, not a lot better, it,
0: it and, it, it's easy to use too, because that was something I was worried about. Because again, I it's I always laugh all the time that my whole business is on my phone, yet I'm the worst with technology. And so anything that's like data driven or technology, I'm like, I don't know if I can work this, but it's super easy. But it, it, it's interesting. Like you go to the driving range and you look at all the people there. No one knows how to practice and no one knows what to practice and we just kind of assume that people would know that but unless you have a competitive background within golf no one really teaches that to you which I always found really interesting and so like I said like having that data having some drills that go with the data like it's giving people actually these tools to get better it's, it's, that's never been provided before, ever. Like, no one knows how to actually practice when you have just a little bit of amount of time.
3: Yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, you know, there's no... Re- I mean, you can see in the views on the first coaching series video you did that everybody hops in to have a look, right? Because, again, it's how do you take that data and how do you then pull in different little plans to improve different little areas of the game? The key, f- the key for us, if anybody's wondering, is... The technology doesn't take away from the game. It doesn't slow down the game. There's a couple of different ways to connect data. Um, You can do it by having it on your wrist, or you can do it by having a sort of a belt or it connected to the laser. And that element's simple. It gives you distances on the golf, which is key to anybody playing golf. And again, you know, that, that's, that's the cool bit. And we all like to mess about it in the app, spend some time, look at the different insights, compare ourselves to others. It's just simple. That, you know, that, that's the key. And it's hard not to improve when you're seeing the information that way.
0: Yeah, it really is. And like you said, I did, I did give some drills, but I want to hear from you. What is your favorite golf drill that you have ever learned?
3: Oh, dear me. Um, I can give my favorite database tip.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. So
3: that is one of the things that I found that helped me with golf was I stopped using a laser and I just started using GPS So front, middle, back. And if you're a handicapped golfer, if the pin is in the front half of the green, don't worry about the pin distance, play the middle of the green. Everybody thinks they hit it a little bit further than they do. So you're playing the percentages, play it up the green tape or if you're going to hit a seven iron into the green, because that's where the flag is hit six, honestly, your scores will drop immediately. And everybody worries about the one that goes over the back. That's a lot better than the four that go in the front bunker. So I would do that. On drills, there was like a little plastic thing that went between your arms for putting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It's
3: like, it's, it's like a spanner yeah. or a ring. And... It you sort it of used to promote you sort of moving your shoulders that was the only golf training aid sort of thing that i ever used so yeah that that or um something like speed sticks or something get a bit more pace in your swing
0: yeah those were always good i was like tin cup remember that scene where they walk in he has all these like devices on him that was me <laughs> I loved a good like drill training aid anything. Um, that's why I like this. But that your advice on playing towards the middle of the green is huge. Like I say that all the time, where guys will just be short all day long, and I oh. would say you have to take the ego out of it. Like I would much rather say that I'm hitting a seven than I'm hitting an eight than being short and not getting up and down to giving my giving me a chance to make a birdie pie. I think. Ego in golf is the biggest thing that holds a ton of people back because you want to hit your driver as hard as possible. You want to say you hit the your clubs farther than you actually do. And it really does prevent you from shooting lower scores, which is what we all want. I mean, that would make me feel better (laughs) shooting lower scores, but it's like taking your ego out of the game.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things, I mean, after about five or six rounds of shot scope, we're giving you a pretty good number for every club that you hit so you're getting your distances if you start to play that distance you'll score better yeah because it's probably you know it's the old oh I hit it 300 yards you're like well you (laughs) you can't I've seen you swing it it's physically impossible Yeah, and then you show them oh it's 265 and they go no no, no, that must be wrong must be range balls must be something no no that's 265 fine. Don't worry about that. That's good. But let's just worry about the bunker at 265. Yep. You know, rather than thinking we'll just blast it over it. And it's, like you say, it's removing ego. It's making better decisions. You make a couple better decisions every round, you'll score better. And if that's because you know how far you hit it, it's a really simple way to make a better decision.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you guys are interested in buying any of these products, which... As you can see, you definitely should if you want to improve quickly and easily. You go to shotscope.com and use my code PAGE, that's P-A-I-G-E, when you check out and you get a discount. They're doing a huge summer end of summer sale right now. So go get your devices, get your rangefinder, get your GPS, um, and play better golf. It's as simple as that. Did Did I leave anything out, Gavin?
3: No, that, that is about as simple as that. <laughs> so well, no, I love ab- it. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Well, thank no, you so really much so for fun.
0: joining us today. I had so much fun talking to you, and I'm sure my listeners really appreciate all of your advice and interesting stories as well.
3: No, it's been a hoot.
1: Enjoyed
0: that. Thank you.
1: Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each and women's petite and plus sizes here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors JCPenney make everybody count
1: this episode brought to you by 20th century studios kingdom of the planet of the apes director Wes ball breathes new life into the epic franchise As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools.